Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 155 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and Boxing Monthly Magazine. And guys, as you noticed, we're, uh, we're late this week. For those of you who subscribe to me on my YouTube channel, you saw a little video I posted Monday, which is usually when TNC comes out. I was on the road uh, traveling, and I just got back to town to Atlanta. So um, I put out a video on YouTube asking you guys, would you like a late week, late in the week episode of TNC, or would you like a super crazy loaded double episode next week? Most of you opted for the late week episode. So here we are. Uh, most of you are probably hearing this either Thursday night or Thursday evening, depending on what part of the world that you are in. And again, this is episode 155 for the week of January 26th. That is this Saturday. And uh, my fee for this week, I have a question for you guys. My fee for this episode, for those of you who are new to the podcast, I do not charge a monetary fee for this podcast that I bring to you guys, rain, snow, or shine every week. As you see, even while I'm traveling, uh, I bring you this podcast. And uh, I'm very, I try to be very interactive with you guys. And, uh, you know, I ask, hey, when do you want the podcast? Even when I'm traveling, you know, I, I try to do that for you guys because uh, I really do truly appreciate your support. But I usually have a fee and my fee is usually a task that I ask of you guys. And sometimes it's just following me on a new platform or getting the word out or something like that. This week, it's a question for you guys. Would you be interested in uh, TNC, us adding TNC to Spreaker? which is another podcast platform. And I believe through Spreaker, the podcast would eventually be distributed to iHeartRadio and Spotify. I know uh, Spotify recently just started adding podcasts. So uh, some of you guys have asked about us going to that platform. I don't know how many of you use it, but I'm curious if it would be uh, something that you guys think would be beneficial to the show to get it out there to more people. And if it would be more convenient for some of you to consume the material and get access to the show every week if we went that route. So let me know, uh, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, if we added those profiles, I think Sonos is one. Uh, there's so many of them, but it, they all kind of go through Spreaker. And, you know, there's a monthly fee and everything that uh, would be associated with that. But you guys are helping us out here on the channel. And you know that uh, everything you do to help out, uh, you know, when you contribute through uh, Patreon and everything else, we reinvest every dime we make. Uh, we take that and invest it back into the show. So I think this might be a, a, another avenue to get the show out there to more people. So let me know what you guys think about that. That is your homework. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, just let me know in the comments section. If you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other platform that we're on right now, uh, Stitcher, any of those, Player FM, just tweet me or something like that. Message me on Facebook, whatever it is, and uh, let me know what you guys think about that, all right? Let's get into news and notes. All right, so uh, pretty much a golden rule that uh, I know this is anytime I hit the road, anytime I travel, whether it's for uh, business reasons, you know, for work, uh, it's like a project I'm taking on, I'm trying to take on some odd jobs here and there as I'm renovating this house and stuff, or, or if it's for like a family vacation or whatever it is, some big news always drops every time I travel. It is just 
It, it happens every time, dude. And uh, this time when I was traveling, I actually went to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I did some, got some work done, but as part of it, uh, they put me up in a resort. So I got to stay at a cool ass resort this weekend in Charleston, but a bombshell drops. Canelo Alvarez, Daniel Jacobs. That fight has been signed for May 4th. That is gonna be at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And look, man, I talked about this a little bit, a little bit on uh, my live fight broadcast uh, or live fight party for Pacquiao Broner this past weekend. I talked about Canelo and Jacobs. Uh, look, man, these are two of the top, possibly two of the top three middleweights right now. I mean, my middleweight ranking is Golovkin, Canelo, Jacobs. And I don't care what order you put them in. I think those are the top three middleweights right now. And to get those two guys fighting each other, and this is non-pay-per-view. You guys have to remember, a lot of you hate these apps and you're, you're, you're uh, very, very slow to take to ESPN Plus and The Zone. And there's some other boxing apps that have been around for a while, especially over in the UK. Uh, but some of you guys, you know, you're, you're very, very slow to, to adapt and adjust to this, particularly some of you that are over 40 years of age. <laughs> It's understandable, I get it. But even if you don't like the idea of the, the zone and you don't subscribe monthly, you know damn well in May, you're going to pay your $10 to get the app just for that month at least to get this fight. Because let's face it, man, Canelo's last, forget the Rocky Fielding fight, that is what it is. But before that, Canelo's last, how many fights? I can't even count right now, but I'm, I'm saying, the majority of his fights in the last five years, let's say, have been on pay-per-view. And ever since Mayweather and Canelo fought, they increased the price of the pay-per-view uh, cost, and it's never gone down since. So now you're paying $80, $85, whatever, whatever it is. Nobody gets the damn standard definition. Everybody gets the high definition. Nobody has standard definition anymore. So it's stupid to even include that in the price. You guys have been paying $80, $85 twice a year to watch Canelo Alvarez fight if you live in the USA. Now, if you live in Mexico, you're getting it for free. If you live in other parts of the world, you're getting it for free or your discount rate. But if you're in the US of A, you're paying basically $170 a year to watch Canelo Alvarez fight twice. And a lot of times it was against guys like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., Amir Khan, guys like that, regardless of how you feel about the Canelo-Golovkin decisions. And you guys know how I feel about those fights and the scoring and everything else, the politics, the craziness. He did reporter. You guys know how I feel. All right. Regardless of all that, Canelo Alvarez has proved he is at least the top two or three middleweight in the world right now. Possibly, all things considered, with Golovkin Getting a little older, a little long in the tooth, Canelo might be the best middleweight in the world right now, okay? And you're seeing him fight for $10. So those of you who say, oh, I don't want to watch this fight on my phone, get the Apple TV. And there's other products where you can learn, you can bounce what's on your phone onto your television. So you can pay the $10 to get to the Zone app and you can bounce it from your phone or your laptop or whatever it is onto your TV. Those of you who have bought a TV in the last 12 months or so, you got the zone. Well, the zone isn't quite yet on your TV, but it's coming. It's going to be uh, included on the apps on your smart TV. It's going to be there soon. You already got 
YouTube and Netflix and all that stuff is available right there on your TV. It's coming, guys. It is the way of the future. So this is a good thing. It's not only a really, really good fight, one of the best fights that could be made in boxing right now, in my opinion, but it's only $10. Now, those of you who are going to go to Vegas and pay $3,000 for shitty nosebleed seats, hey, you're just a glutton for punishment. You know, I don't know why some of you continue to do that when you could pay $10 and watch this shit at home. Either way you slice it, I really like that matchup. I think it's a damn good fight. All right, let's talk about some not so good news. So TMZ reported last week that Sergey Kovalev apparently was arrested last June, June 9th to be exact, for punching a woman in the face. Now this woman claims that uh, Kovalev met her at a party, he hit on her, tried to get with her, she turned him down, so he punched her and it broke her nose apparently and caused her, I think a concussion, she said as well. Sergey Kovalev denies the charges, released a statement saying, I didn't do it. I'm going to have my day in court. You guys will see. Don't you find it funny that they're leaking this information out a week before my rematch with Edladir Alvarez? I don't know who to believe in this situation, but if it's true, if not only one, he's cheating on his wife, which is messed up in and of itself. He was trying to cheat on his wife. But if he punches a damn woman in the face, not only is it a disgusting, horrible act, but it's absolutely fucking stupid. Because if you're a trained boxer, your hands are lethal weapons. Just punching a dude, a civilian, is stupid because you know you're going to get in trouble. And it's taking unfair advantage of a situation. But dude, punching a woman, what the hell are you doing? So let's wait and see. Let's let the guy have his day in court. I still think the fight with Alvarez is going to happen in a week or so. Uh, we just saw Marcus Brown fight last weekend. And, of course, he's had issues with domestic or, you know, uh, charges of uh, domestic abuse. So it just seems to be something we see with a lot of athletes, particularly athletes in contact slash combat sports. All right. On to better news. Or maybe this isn't good news, depending on how you look at it. So the WBA has ordered a fight between... Uh, we know he's ordered the fight between Vasily Lomachenko and Anthony Krola. And they've actually ordered a purse bid for February 4th. So Lomachenko's, his next fight's already, they already have the venue and the, the date and everything in Los Angeles. And now we know the opponent. It's going to be Anthony Krola. So some of you guys probably would see that as a buzzkill because, you know, uh, his last fight, he fought Jorge Linares. You know, that was a, a big step up, a big challenge. Crawler isn't seen as an elite level fighter, but he's been in there with some top guys. He always uh, puts on, you know, gives his best and puts on a good fight. So I actually don't mind that matchup. And look, Lomachenko, the guy, not every fight could be against a top elite A level fighter. You're going to have ups and downs. As long as Loma stays busy and fights a few times a year, I don't mind this. Now, the WBC has also ordered. The, an immediate rematch between Tony Harrison and Jamel Charlo. Of course, uh, Harrison won a controversial decision over Charlo to take his junior middleweight title in December. So the WBC has ordered an immediate rematch. Not at all surprising. And I think that uh, let's see if Charlo can improve in that fight and leave no doubt because there are a lot of people out there that felt Harrison won. For my money, Charlo edged it. But um, look, if he is who we think he is, and the Charlo brothers are supposed to be top elite level fighters, tons of talent, he should be able to make the adjustments and soundly, decisively beat, if not stop, 
Harrison. Maybe he took Harrison lightly. It was a last-minute replacement because his, his opponent, Willie Monroe Jr., who he was supposed to face, tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. So sometimes that can derail things. Let's see now. Full camp preparing for Harrison. How Charlo looks. Oleksandr Usyk returning in late May, probably late May, in the United States. He's going to be back in the USA, hasn't fought here in a while, but his team says they want to come back to America in late May, and they will be fighting at heavyweight, they say. They have reached out to some opponents, and the opponents have turned them down. Nobody seems really anxious to fight Oleksandr Usyk, but he will be uh, fighting in the USA, apparently, late May at heavyweight. Do I think it's going to be a top 10 rated heavyweight? No, I don't. I think it's going to be possibly a top 20, top 25 level guy, which is fine. If that's your first fight at heavyweight, that's not bad. Now, the, the dates of May, I mean, that's kind of a, kind of a longer layoff for, for Usyk. I don't know. Um, you know I'd rather him be getting, getting in the ring in March, you know, a little sooner. But maybe part of that is they want him to bulk up the right way. You know, take your time, a few months bulking up before you get into camp and you start really focusing on boxing. So, so maybe right now they're just in that process, bulking up to heavyweight and they're taking their time with it. Instead of coming back in March and being kind of bloated, come back in May and put on the weight the right way. I, I like that approach and I think it's smart. So I think that's exciting, man. Uh, the best cruiserweight in the world, I, my personal belief, the best, most accomplished cruiserweight ever. And yes, I'm including Evander Holyfield in that because Holyfield didn't do what Usyk did. Uh, I think the best cruiserweight ever. Also, keep in mind now the cruiserweight division's 200 pounds, not 190, like when Holyfield fought. And Holyfield was the man in the division when it was brand spanking new. The division's been around for about 40 years now. And Usyk, to me, is the best cruiserweight of all time. He's moving up to heavyweight coming back to the USA, going to be on the zone. I think that's, uh, that's, that's pretty important. And I think that's pretty good stuff, man. Good news. So uh, a mix of good and bad with news notes this week. But overall, good. Overall, real good. Let's get into the review of what happened last week. Friday, January 18th at the Madison Square Garden Hulu Theater. It was a matchroom on the zone card. And uh, there were a few different fighters on this card. A couple guys that were scheduled to be on. Alexis Rocha was originally on the card. He was pulled off. Heavyweight Jarrell Big Baby Miller was originally on there. And he was pulled off. He's holding out for Anthony Joshua. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought AJ would fight Dillian White this spring and then maybe fight uh, Miller later in the year in New York. But maybe they're flipping some of that scheduling around. We'll see what happens. It's possible. I mean, I, I think it'd be awesome if AJ fought three times this year, and that included Dillian White, Jarrell Miller, and then maybe somebody else late this year, like the winner between Wilder and Fury. But obviously, that's not going to happen. Either way, uh, Big Baby Miller not on this card. Somewhat of a buzzkill for those uh, New York fans who wanted to see him as a New York guy. But in the main event, Demetrius Andrade scores a TKO 12 win over Arthur Akhabov. First defense of his WBO 160-pound title. He won the vacant title last October uh, against the no-hoper. Andrade has had a very weak reign at 160 pounds. This was, uh, Akhabov was the, the best fighter he's faced so far at 160, but that's not saying much. Still, 
dominated this fight. I, I thought the stoppage was trash. There was no real need for referee Arthur McCanty Jr. to stop it. McCanty really does a good job most of the time. No need to stop it, but it was very one-sided. I mean, just looking at punch numbers, Andre uh, landed 181 punches through 865 punches, so he was not very accurate. Landed 21% of his punches, but Akavov landed less than one quarter of the amount of punches Andre landed. He landed 41 out of 263, 16%. So Akavov did basically a quarter of the work. So Andre absolutely shut him down. This dude is a stylistic nightmare for anybody in the division. He just needs to step this shit up. And the WBO is basically forcing his hand to do that because they just ordered a fight between him and Billy Joe Saunders. And if the, the deal cannot be reached for that fight, they are probably going to go to purse bid for that in late February. So in basically a month, we'll, we'll know what's up between Demetrius Andrade and Billy Joe Saunders. But I hope that fight comes together and it's next. It should be according to the WBO. That should happen, I would think, sometime this spring. And that would be the best fight of Billy Joe Saunders' career. You know, the best opponent he's faced. It'd be the best opponent... Billy Joe Saunders has faced. So both guys would be the best opponent uh, they've seen so far as a pro, and that's what we need more of, damn it. But if those two fight, again, you're talking two of the top five middleweights in the world, probably, at least two of the top ten, okay? But possibly two of the top five middleweights fighting each other on the zone for 10 bucks, probably going to happen in June, somewhere in that time frame, a month or so around the Canelo Jacobs fight. So good things are happening in the middleweight division this year. And they're happening on the zone, which is why I tend to lead toward Gennady Golovkin, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, signing with the zone. I just think that's what we're going to see. All right, but also on this card, upset special, upset special. Pablo Cesar Cano scores a TKO win uh, in one round, the first round against Jorge Linares. A multi-division world titleist and you know had his moments against Vasily Lomachenko when they fought last year the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world difference being Linares was much bigger longer taller stronger than Lomachenko and is kind of the opposite in this fight this was at 140 pounds that last fight with uh, Loma was at 135 obviously they were fighting for Linares lightweight title so against Kano Kano just Big, rugged, much bigger and stronger than Linares. And not, dropped him three times before the ref called off the fight in the first round. And it was a right hand, kind of like a clubbing right hand to uh, the back of the ear that started everything, that dropped uh, Linares first. And yeah, you get hit on the temple, the side, the back of the head, that throws off the equilibrium. It's bad enough when you get hit by, you know, in that spot by a guy who's your size. But when you get hit by a guy who's bigger and stronger in that part of the head, it's tough to recover from. So it wasn't even a punch to the chin that really started it for Linares. But once he got caught with that shot on the side of the head, it, it was done. He, he could not recover. The second right hand that dropped him for the second time, that, was, uh, that one was right on the button. That one was right on the jaw. So then not only was the equilibrium off, now the chin was checked and he was done. He got back up, 
but the third knockdown was from a left hook. So it was three different shots from three different angles from a bigger dude that dropped him. It all really started with that first clubbing shot to the side of the head. He just couldn't recover from. After the fight, Lenari said, look, I need to go back down to 135. This is not the weight class for me. Obviously, he's got to hang him up soon. It's, it's the beginning of the end for Linares. But, you know, I, I've looked at this a couple of times. He just got caught with a bad shot from a big guy, punched that. Look, if he got caught with that shot on the side of the head with five seconds left in the first round, he probably would have survived it. But getting caught like that early in the round like that and then getting touched up with right hands right to the jaw, that, that was it, man. That's it. Linares has never been a defensive wizard. But when you get caught like that from a bigger dude, it's just hard to recover, man. So does this mean that Linares has absolutely shot the shit, as some people are saying? I don't think so. I think he'll be back. Come back at 135. Is he a top elite level fighter anymore, though? I don't think so, man. He's been stopped twice now. He was stopped to the body by a much smaller fighter, albeit a much more skilled fighter, but a, a much smaller fighter last year. And now badly stopped in one round by a much bigger fighter. So yeah, it's, it's you know, a few more fights in time to hang him up for Jorge Linares. For P Pablo Cesar Cano, who's been on the bad side of a couple of decisions, he's had a couple of close decisions go against him. This is the win of his career, man. And it's just, he's a guy who's earned it the hard way. You got to feel good for him. It's a feel-good story. Also on this card, TJ Doheny scores a TKO 11 win over Ryohei Takahashi, the first defense of his IBF uh, super bantamweight title. And they're talking about a possible unification with Daniel Roman late, later this spring in Los Angeles. They're thinking LA and a unification fight between Doheny and Roman. Sign me up for some of that. That might be worth getting on the plane, going back to LA and hanging out with some of you guys out there and covering that one live. I think that'll be a fun fight, and I am always for unification. It's the best thing we get in boxing. Also, uh, Friday, same day, same state, but leaving New York City, going upstate to Verona, Turning Stone Casino. It was top rank on ESPN Plus, the app. We had uh, just fights on apps last Friday. In the main event, a uh, minor upset, uh, Oscar Rivas, a Colombian-born, Canadian-based heavyweight, Fought in the Olympics in 2008 for Colombia. Uh, scored a TKO 12 win over Bryant Jennings, who has now basically become a perennial contender. He was a top 10 guy. Got to boxing late, but because uh, Jennings had a good you know, toughness to him, a good mental edge to him, and some, some good athleticism, long freaking arms, uh, really, really picked up uh, boxing pretty quickly. And I think he did very well for how late he came to the game was was truly a legitimate top 10 heavyweight for a while, but now he's he's basically at the perennial contender stage. Uh, Rivas, just an undersized guy in this heavyweight division. He's barely six feet tall. He's got that classic heavyweight build, a shorter, stockier guy, kind of got the Mike Tyson-esque, Evander Holyfield-esque type of build. Just in this era of heavyweights against the elites, it's, he's just not going to be big enough. He just, he just isn't. Fun style, throws a lot of punches, but he gets a little too uh, wide open with his stance. He doesn't uh, close himself off really well. He squares up sometimes. 
the right hand is slow. It's, it's odd. He kind of throws his right hand kind of slow and telegraphs it. And I just think some of the taller guys in the division that have the skills to see that coming are going to pick that off and nail him. I think he's eventually going to get knocked out by some of the bigger guys in the division. But against the lower top 10 and any of the top 20 guys, he's going to be fun as hell to watch. He does throw a lot of punches for a heavyweight, moves pretty well, pretty athletic. And now Rivas is 26-0 with 18 knockouts. He's 31 years old, so he's right at the age that heavyweights really, really start to come into their comfort zone. And um, yeah, he's a top 10 heavyweight now. Now, what, what I found interesting about this is in the 12th round, uh, two of the scores were 106, 103, and uh, the other score was 105, 104. Those two, those two judges had uh, Rivas ahead in the 12th round at the time of the stoppage. But Judge John McKay had it 106-103 for Jennings in the 12th round. So who knows what the hell Judge John McKay was seeing, but this isn't the first time he's turned in a scorecard like that. Anyway, the surprise on this card on ESPN Plus was Shakur Stevenson because uh, he scored a TKO 4 win and it was really the best he's looked so far as a pro. When he first came out uh, as a professional fighter, I thought he had Bambi legs, I call him. He just looked unsteady. He looked like you could just knock him over if you pushed him a little bit. He's starting to settle into his man strength a little more, looking more and more and more like a seasoned pro fighter. And I'm, I'm actually, I, there was a time where I wasn't very high on Stevenson. But he's looked better lately. And he's somebody that I'm starting to put stock back in. I don't put him up there with other prospects like uh, like Devin Haney or Tiafimo Lopez, guys like that, but looking better and better and better. And the, the folks at top rank, they know what the hell they're doing. So they obviously saw something in this kid. They're letting him develop slowly, which he's very young. So what's the rush? And uh, he's getting better and better as we go. Now, Saturday, there was a big card in Las Vegas, obviously. MGM Grand, Showtime pay-per-view. It was the Pacquiao-Broner fight fight card and apparently the pay-per-view did around 400,000 buys it might be just short of that but it needed to break 350k to cover the American purses and, and 10 million dollars is what Manny was getting for his actual fight purse but total when you factor in foreign TV money sponsorships and everything else uh, he was guaranteed 20 million Adrian Broner, his purse was 2.5 million. His upside might be about half a million. He'll probably walk away, walk away with uh, about 3 million. But uh, yes, there's a lot of other things to factor in, like the foreign TV money and the revenue and all that kind of stuff, the ticket revenue, the gate revenue. But just based off the pay-per-view numbers alone, this thing had to do uh, basically a little bit better than the Wilder Fury pay-per-view, and it did. It looks like it did significantly better in terms of selling tickets, in, for what people paid for the tickets and actually for how much the pay-per-view, how many pay-per-views it sold here in the USA. So this is going to be a profitable card and it proves that Manny Pacquiao still moves the needle. One of my homies, CJ Duncan, uh, lives there in uh, Las Vegas, said that he was trying to buy a ticket the day of the fight and he was surprised. He went to uh, MGM Grand, looked for a ticket and they were still selling uh, at ticket price or a sticker price, actually over sticker price. So they, they weren't discounting tickets or anything like that. So it tells me that the, the sellout that they reported, I think it was over 13,000 at the MGM, which is apparently what they seated it for. I know that more, they've had bigger crowds than that at MGM before, but they seated this one to the charts for like 13 and some change. 
It was reported as a sellout. And you guys know a sellout in Vegas, a lot of the time it really truly isn't a sellout because there's a lot of gimmies and package deals with the casino whales and everything like that. But all things considered, this thing sold well at the actual event and on pay-per-view. It proves that Manny Pacquiao is still a bona fide boxing star. He still moves the needle. Now, in the main event, Pacquiao wins a decision against Adrian Broner, which is what I told you guys was going to happen. It was not a very exciting fight. The, the real moments that were exciting were provided solely by Pacquiao in the seventh round when he badly hurt Broner, who was holding on for dear life. And then I think it was the ninth round where he was buzzed, but not that badly hurt, but hurt enough to where he was running late and looking up at the clock. I saw Broner look up at the clock several times. Pacquiao improves to 61, seven and two with 39 knockouts. This was the first defense of his WBA regular welterweight title. And look, earlier in the episode, I talked about the punch numbers between Demetrius Andre and Artur Akovov. Kind of similar punch numbers for this fight. Manny Pacquiao didn't land or throw a whole lot, but he really didn't need to. He landed 112 of 568, 20% accuracy. But Adrian Broner basically did what Arthur Akovov did against uh, Demetrius Andrade. Broner threw 295 punches. So he threw a little bit more than Akovov did against Andrade and landed a few more. He landed 50 punches. So 17% accuracy. But if you look at the punch numbers, Adrian Broner basically did against Pacquiao what Arthur Akovov did against Demetrius Andrade. Now, is anybody in the world saying that Arthur Akovov got robbed and, 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 and truly beat Demetrius Andrade? No, but there are people on the internet saying Adrian Broner really beat Pacquiao or it was a close fight that could have went either way. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. After the fight, Adrian Broner said, I won the fight. You know, I controlled the fight. What the fuck is this guy smoking? Now, people, we see it all the time. There, there are fighters who talk all kinds of crazy shit before a fight to hype it up. They say all kinds of insane, ludicrous crap, right? We see it all the time. But generally speaking, after the fight, they pull back on some of that shit and they, they become human again. Okay, because the fight's over. The animalistic, you know, fight thing is done. And it's time to be human again. There's a million examples of this I could point to, right? And Adrian Brunner said all kinds of stupid, ridiculous, idiotic, unnecessary shit. <clears throat> Wasn't needed. Did some of it maybe help sell a couple pay-per-views or a couple extra tickets? It's possible. But clearly anyone who's followed the career of Manny Pacquiao realizes that Manny sells himself. He sells the fight itself. I mean, look at the ratings, his fight against Jeff Horn. Does anyone know who the hell Jeff Horn is before that fight? Look at the numbers it did on ESPN. And that was like a daytime fight. It was at an odd hour, totally nondescript opponent. It did massive ratings. So Manny sells the show. Now, maybe Adrian Broner's tactics, antics, uh, helped sell a little bit more and beef up the, the promotion just a little bit more. All the crappy talk to Al Bernstein and shit. But dude, after the fight, it's just not necessary anymore. You've sold the event. If that's truly, because some, some people are online defending Broner, who after the fight said a bunch of ridiculous stuff to Jim Gray, Showtime's Jim Gray during the post-fight interview, and went on and on and on. It wasn't just for the cameras, because he did it at the post-fight press conference. He just went on and on and on. He's been doing it on social media since. And there are people defending this crap. 
Dude, the fight was sold. He wasn't doing this for promotion. He was doing this because he's just a dick. He's just a piece of shit. He's a fucking scumbag. He's not a good guy, okay? I like characters in boxing. I like bad guys, and you got to have that. And you know which guys are kind of putting it on and stuff like Some guys need to have that edge to be great in the ring. They kind of have to have that bad guy edge. It's what motivates them. I understand all that shit. I really do. But Adrian Broner isn't any of that. He's just an ignorant, privileged, entitled piece of shit who's had things given to him his whole life who continues to get undeserved opportunities and will do so after this, after completely laying an egg, landing four punches around, running, looking up at the clock, holding any time he got touched, looking like a deer in headlights, looking scared like a little boy when he got caught. And he's going to get another undeserved opportunity after this. And he talks about he's from the hood, I'm from the hood, I'm from the hood. But anybody who's actually from the hood, who grew up, poor, who grew up not having shit, and you're listening right now to this podcast to a guy who was born in a trailer park to teenage parents, okay? I know what it's like to grow up without shit. You don't celebrate that shit. You don't think it's cool. You don't brag about it. You, you don't want to go back to that life. So for Broner to constantly talk about, this is for the hood, this is for the hood, that's fake. He's fake as hell. He ain't from the damn hood. Where he grew up wasn't that bad. Any, what, what's hood in Broner is his mentality. Hood is a fashion statement to him. And that symbolizes everything that's wrong with certain segments of our society. That there are people celebrating that shit and using it as a fashion statement. It's an accessory to their outfit, if you will. And that's bullshit. People who actually grow up, you want to talk about hood, Adrian Broner, AB? You want to talk about hood? Manny Pacquiao is from the hood. He grew up unbelievably poor. There is no poverty in, in the United States that compares to the poverty in different parts of the world. Africa, Latin America, Eastern Europe, uh, different parts of Asia. It does not compare. Poor people in America are fat. Poor people in America have smartphones and TVs. And if you've traveled the world at all, guys, and I remember I was in the Marine Corps, you see that there's no poverty in America on a global scale. Yes, we have people who grow up not having as much as other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're born in America, you're doing better than a significant portion of the world, including a lot of white people. So guess what, Adrian Broner? Gang, gang, you are not hood. You're a fake, ignorant spoiled, privileged piece of shit who's never been that good of a fighter. He's a gatekeeper right now. Is he going to continue to get seven-figure paydays he doesn't deserve? Yup. And it just goes to show all this talk now in the media about privilege and, and all this other stuff, AB proves he's, an, he's, a, he's the epitome, he's the example of how bullshit a lot of those social theories are because he's the privileged one. Now, anyway, hopefully he goes away, but we all know he won't. He's going to still be around. But what I found interesting about this fight was the scoring. I struggled to give more than one round, maybe two rounds to Adrian Broner. However, two judges, and uh, Steve Kim and Mario Lopez talked about this on the Three Knockdown Rule podcast. Two judges, uh, Glenn Feldman and Tim Cheatham, after 10 rounds had this 
six rounds to four for Pacquiao. They had a 96-94 for Pac after 10 rounds, which were atrocious scorecards at that time. They gave the last two rounds to Pacquiao because they were so dominated by Pacquiao. Broner did absolutely nothing. Even those guys couldn't help Broner out anymore. But politically, this was set up for Broner to win those last two rounds and for us to have a draw here. That's what this was supposed to happen. That's what was supposed to happen. Broner blew it. But they were doing everything they could to help this dude. Now, one judge scored it correctly. He, had, he, he actually gave three rounds to Broner, which I find impossible. But he still, in, at the end, he did the right thing. These two judges were trying to help Broner out. Again, I talk about privilege, entitlement. It is a guy like Adrian Broner. And here's just another example of it. Now, Freddie Roach, who's working with Manny Pacquiao again, <clears throat> along with Boo Boy Fernandez, says he wants Keith Thurman next. And we'll talk about Keith Thurman later on in this episode. Do I think that's smart? We got to see how Keith Thurman looks against Jose Cito Lopez this weekend. But I, I understand why Freddie wants that fight. You know, Keith has not been very active and he is fundamentally flawed, but I think it's too risky for the PBC. They want to save Thurman for Spence and they want to save Pacquiao for the rematch with Mayweather. If they did match, if they truly did match Pacquiao and Thurman together, that would tell me that they don't have plans for a Pacquiao-Mayweather rematch. If they avoid that fight, the reason why they avoid it is because they want to save Pacquiao for Floyd. They want to cash out with Thurman against Spence. That makes sense. That makes business sense, and that's the way the PBC usually does things. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, in the co-main, Nordin Ubali improves to 15-0 with a unanimous decision over Roche Warren, wins the vacant WBC Bantamweight title. This was his first bout in the USA. First French champion in, I think, 12 years. I know it's over a decade. I don't remember the exact amount of years, but the first French-born champ in over a decade. Uh, Ubali fought in the 2008 Olympics, lost to Zhou Ming, fought in the 2012 Olympics and beat Warren, lost to Michael Conlon in those Olympics. Uh, so he had beat Warren in the amateurs. And generally speaking, I, I slightly favored Warren in this fight because generally speaking, when you see that rematch in the pros, guys get that, their revenge. Not so here. Uh, Obali just looked like he wanted it more. It looked like he had Warren backing up on the back foot the whole fight. And he just beat him. Just soundly, decisively beat him. Great win for this guy. I want to see him again. And Marcus Brown improves to 23-0 with the unanimous decision over Badu Jack. Wins the vacant WBC silver light heavyweight title. This was an extremely bloody fight. Uh, Badu Jack had a gash in the forehead right between the eyebrows. Bad gash, man. It looked like you could stick a thumb in that thing and just touch the bone. But it, it was bleeding profusely, but it wasn't affecting his vision. And the ring doctor checked it out multiple times. They let them fight. He kept fighting, but he wasn't very effective. I don't think Brown fought an amazing fight, but it, Brown's fight was effective, and he won the majority of the rounds. Uh, I thought he did a, a good job in the first real step up of his career. I would have seen, I would have liked to have seen him go for the kill and just beat the hell out of that cut more. He didn't really do that. He held a little too much for my taste, but good solid win for him. And Jack proves again, 
he just is what he is. And now Badu Jack at this level, with uh, what he's done at light heavyweight, he's a perennial contender. He's basically what I said about Bryant Jennings uh, before in the heavyweight division. That's pretty much where Badu Jack is now in the light heavyweight division. For Marcus Brown, he's a top five light heavyweight now. And he's in line to fight uh, either Dmitry Bivol or Alexander Vosdick. Because both of those guys, the, the titles that they hold, uh, Brown is high up in those organizations and he's going to fight. He can fight either one of them. But he called out Vosdick. That's who he wants. So the nail, his team said that they are scheduled to make a voluntary defense. They're going to take a voluntary defense in March. So maybe we will see uh, Marcus Brown and Alexander Vosdick fight each other later this year, probably in the fall. Sign me up for that shit. That is going to be a fascinating matchup. Guys, I'm telling you, 2019, we're not going to get the big fights we want. We're not going to get AJ and Wilder, you know, that kind of thing. We're not going to get Thurman and Spence or whatever. But we're getting some good quality matchups this year. And I'm telling you right now, Marcus Brown and Alexander Vosdick, that's going to be a good, solid, light heavyweight matchup. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, let's preview what we got coming up this weekend in boxing around the world. Saturday, January 26th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, PBC on Fox. In the main event is the return of one time. Keith Thurman, 28-0, going up against Jose Cito Lopez, who is 36-7 for the WBA Super Welterweight title. Of course, Pacquiao has the regular title. So Thurman, one fight in 2016, one fight in 2017, zero fights in 2018. From Clearwater, Florida, the city of Scientology. Those people are fucking nuts. And then we've got uh, Lopez, the Riverside Rocky. One fight in 2015, one, twi- one fight in 2016, 2017, and 2018. So neither one of these guys has had uh, two fights a year for several years. They are both very inactive fighters. However, Thurman has beat the better opposition. Lopez has fought some high-level opposition, maybe even fought the better overall opposition as far as uh, consistently fighting the best. But uh, Thurman, a natural welterweight, fought his entire career at 147. Um, And he's the naturally bigger, stronger guy, uh, more athletic, hits harder, and he has beat the better opposition. So for, uh, for Lopez who I think was really a natural lightweight for most of his career, might even be able to make lightweight right now if he really wanted to, but definitely would be a better fit at 140. Again, he's fighting an uphill battle with a bigger, stronger guy. The only chance here he'd have is that Thurman's been so inactive, but then again, so is Lopez. So what do I expect in this fight? Sloppiness. I think we're gonna get a lot of sloppiness because these guys simply have not been very active. Don't, don't shoot the messenger here, guys, but don't be surprised if this shit goes all 12, goes the distance, and both guys are huffing and puffing in that 12th round. Now on paper, if we went two, three years back and you, you saw Keith Thurman fighting Jose Cito Lopez, what would be your prediction? It'd be Thurman by TKO, right? By mid to late rounds TKO. I'm telling you right now, Don't be surprised if this shit goes the distance and it's a sloppy, ugly as hell fight. 
All that being said, maybe Thurman connects with something real big that puts Lopez down while he's still cold and we get a return of quote unquote one time. For my money, the whole one time moniker doesn't fit Thurman. I think his power is seriously overrated. However, I do think he is a good quality welterweight and I think he's still probably the best overall, maybe second best, third best uh, welterweight in the world as far as his accomplishments, who he's fought, who he's beat. But damn, does that dude need to get active again. We'll see what happens. Also on this card, uh, Tugstocked, I'm, I'm probably butchering his name, Tugstocked Nyambayar is fighting Claudio Marrero. Just let's call him King Tug. All right, King Tug, 10-0 out of Mongolia, but now fights out of Carson, a suburb of Los Angeles, was in the 2012 Olympics. Uh, Marrero is a Dominican Republic fighter, 23-2. That should be a good quality matchup. It's a slight step up in opposition for King Tug. Then we got heavyweight action. Adam Kovnachi, Polish fighter, 18-0, 14 knockouts, six foot three in height, going up against Gerald Washington, who is 19-2-1, 12 knockouts, Six foot six in height. Uh, Washington was KO'd by Deontay Wilder and Jarrell Big Baby Miller in 2017. He had one fight last year, one, one like rebuilding fight against a stiff. So to go, you know, from that stiff right back to against a guy like Kovnachi, who is a good uh, action fighter, throws a lot of punches, definitely brings it. Polish fighters bring it, dude. Uh, we'll see how Washington looks. He's experienced, he's fought the better opposition. But for my money, he's just not active enough. And I think that uh, I expect the Polish fighter, who is making somewhat of a step up in opposition here. He is stepping up a little bit in class against a guy with uh, some experience. But he's just very active. He comes forward. He brings it. I think he's going to outwork and overwhelm Washington, much like Jarrell Big Baby Miller did. Um, Deontay Wilder legitimately stopped Washington. Miller just kind of wore him down. I think that's what Kovnachi is going to do. Also on this card, we got a bunch of undefeated prospects on the undercard, including two of the Russell brothers. So um, that one should be fun. I'm not sure if any of those undercard fights that are going to be shown on Fox or online or anything like that. Now, that is in New York. If we go over to Houston, Texas at the Toyota Center, Golden Boy Promotions is putting on a card on the zone. And in the main event, Jaime Mungia going up against Japanese fighter Takashi Inoue, uh, who's making his first fight in the USA. Most of his fights have been in Japan. All of them have been in Asia. This is his first fight in the USA. And Mungia is six feet tall. Inoue is five foot eight. For Mungia, this will be the third defense of his WBO junior middleweight title. And I think he's absolutely going to blitzkrieg this dude. The Japanese fighters are tough. They do not come to lose. They always bring it. But just the size and strength difference in this, he is just going to bulldoze this guy and destroy him. Uh, after going to distance with Liam Smith last July, Mungia's team has pulled him back a little bit. He's only 22. He turns 23 in October. Much like Shakur Stevenson, who I talked about a while back in this episode, uh, Mungia, he's already got the man legs. He's already got the power. We know this dude can punch, right? But this team needs to take their time because I think they realized against Liam Smith, they need to work on the craft. Mungia does not move his head, really has no defensive skills yet. He needs to work on that stuff. Inoue is not the type of fighter that's going to take advantage of those things. I think he's, again, he's just going to bulldoze this guy and mow him down. 
I don't think Munguia is ready for Jared Hurd or even Charlo or Lara, those guys, quite yet. And I think his team knows that, and they're quite honest about it. They're quite honest about it. So uh, I don't think we're going to see him fight anybody at that level this year. But I think by the end of the year, he's going to step it up to the top 10. And he's going to be fighting somebody on that Liam Smith level again the end of this year. And we'll see if he's improved. I think he will. I think this kid's hungry and he wants to work on things. And I think he's doing that. His trainer, he's with a good team. Guy who's training him right now trained a young Oscar De La Hoya. And, you know, he went on to have a pretty damn good career. So I think uh, he's in good hands. They're taking a step back. I think he's going to be good. Uh, also on this card, Jesus M. Rojas, Puerto Rican fighter, going up against Khan Shu, a Chinese fighter, uh, defending his WBA featherweight title. So Rojas technically is coming off a loss to Joseph Diaz Jr., right, last year. But Diaz, and that was for Rojas, his, uh, his WBA featherweight title, but Diaz missed weight. So even though Diaz won the fight, he didn't get the title. And Rojas, according to the WBA rules, Kept his title even though he lost the damn fight. So he still has that title. This is technically a title fight. Uh, he won the interim title in 2017 off Claudio Marrero, who I just talked about will be on that PBC card fighting King Tug. So round and round it goes, this thing of Oz, right, in boxing. Round and round it goes with these fighters. Also on this card, uh, Golden Boy's best prospect right now, Virgil Ortiz Jr., 11-0, and 11 knockouts, 140 pounds, out of Dallas, Texas, who I constantly talk about. Texas has a really growing boxing scene. Uh, he's on the card. This kid has only 19 rounds in 11 bouts. He needs rounds. The guy he's fighting, not going to give him any rounds. So, yeah, he's going to plow right through and score a, another highlight reel knockout. Good for him. But Golden Boy, okay, a couple more of these, and then you got to step this dude up. You got to get him in there with somebody that can at least take him six, seven, eight rounds. This kid needs to work on some things. So that's it. Saturday, Sunday at the Avalon, it is another Hollywood fight night from Tom Loeffler and 360 Promotions. And of course, they stream those ones live for free. And there's some female fight action there for you guys to watch. Uh, so that's it for this weekend, guys. Uh, the schedule is off and kicking, though, man. we got some things coming up. Uh, next following week, we've got uh, Alvarez and Kovalev rematch. And that's a good card stacked top to bottom. So we'll preview that next week. Uh, sorry for the late episode, guys. But hopefully you guys appreciate it. I was on the road. You can hear my throat's a little sore from meetings, talking in meetings and stuff. And here I am giving you guys TNC 155. Remember your fee. Remember your homework. All right. I want to know what you guys think about Spreaker, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, all that stuff. Do you think that's a good idea for TNC to get added on those platforms? All right. I'll see you at the fights. 